It's time for your weekly trip inside the ropes and behind the scenes of the Australian golf industry. Welcome to another episode of the Australian Golf Show with Tiffany Cherry and Mark Allen. Welcome to the show. We've got a great one coming up as I welcome my co-host, former touring professional Mark Allen and Australian Golf Media Manager Martin Blake. We're talking to a rising star, Crystal Blum, a little later in the show and dissecting sustainability in golf and what it means to our clubs and facilities. But first, gentlemen, Minji, she's nearly done it again, almost securing consecutive majors at the Women's PGA Championship. Well, uh, we spoke about the, the Men's US Open Championship last week and how brilliant that was. This one was just every bit as good. Uh, and when you throw into the mix, Martin, three Australians mm. got into the top 10 and made some serious coin along the way. It was uh, one of the great advertisements I've ever seen for the women's game in major golf. I mean, it was absolutely, it had everything. It had absolutely everything. Of course, Margo, Congressional is a great oh, venue, isn't yeah. it? It, had, it? Doesn't that add to it? Yeah. When the girls get to play a famous golf course? I mean, I think that adds to the mix as well. Minji tied second. I'm excited, Tiff, this morning because I looked at the rankings on my way to work today and Minji's jumped up to number two from mm. number three, which I expected. Um, she's less than a point behind Jin Young Ko, and I can tell you that no Australian woman's ever been number one in the world. Uh, do you know want to know why? Why is that? Because when Kari Webb yeah. was the best player in the world, they didn't have official rankings. Well, it makes sense because she would have been so far ahead of number two at, at that stage. <laughs> it would have been a bit like Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson when, when Tiger was twice as far ahead. They didn't bring it in until 2006, Tiff. So Kari's best was sort of 99 to 201. Kari spent a lot of time after 206 in the top 10, but she never got to number one. Well... Some are calling Minji already the best player in the world at the moment, given her track record. And you've got mm. a good stat, Marco. Uh, well, yeah, her last five majors are just off the charts. I mean, she's uh, come second in this one, first uh, in the last. Then she was 12th, had a shocker, finished 12th. <laughs> uh, then she came, uh, I fifth. think it was fifth, and then yep. she won in the Evian. So uh, just, you know, off the charts style golf. Well, they're saying she's finished in the top 13 of all but two of the events she's played this year. So they're calling her the best player in the world. Let's take a listen to Minji's response to this. Because of the way math works, rankings lag behind reality, do you feel like you're the best player in the world? I think I'm contending. <laughs> um, you know, I still want to be humble, stay humble, but I, I want to think that I'm hard to beat right now. I love she's just cool and calm, measured. She's, uh, she's addressing it without obviously, you know, making headlines in terms of saying, yes, well, bring it on. But she's she is definitely going to be world number one very, very soon. No doubt. So, I, I'm with it. And, and, you know, under pressure, this is when you are measured in this game. And on the 72nd hole, uh, now, if people who haven't seen uh, the last at Congressional, it's the scariest second shot in golf on the 18th as far as I'm concerned because there's water both sides and over the back. <laughs> You know, you've got to hit a great drive as well. You know, if you hang it right, you can't get there. You've got to nail the drive. And Minty did that. But I don't care if it's a short iron or a six iron. I don't care where that, you know, where the pin placement was. To actually have uh, the constitution and to be thinking clearly in that situation, to be able to put a good swing on it, uh, rhythmically, technically, the whole lot, make clean contact, get the wind right, 
and nail it to three feet on the last with water both sides, like we were talking about before. And I mean, what's I mean, it's superhuman phenomenal. type stuff. You can't. That's not normal. And off the back of a bogey, so she's she's just she's just had a recalibrated a bogey, a bogey yep. at seventeen. She she three putted the seventeenth. Yep. Yeah. Um, that that probably cost her in the end, but the finish, as you said, Marco, was was pretty exceptional. I mean, she uh, she plays extremely well in the majors, and she likes chasing. She came mm. from seven back at the Evian. She was only tied tenth, I think, or ninth coming into the last round of this event, and she shoots three under. So yeah, she she started six back. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about the other two Australians in the tick, Hannah and, and Stephanie, um, but we've got to talk about Lexi Thompson. Yeah, because she doesn't have a major. Uh, she's been a, a child prodigy. Um, I think the first time I saw her, she was 12 and she qualified the US Open or something. It was just something, you know, off the charts what she did. Um, but she's got a real headache because uh, there was a couple of short putts there that didn't even hit the hole under pressure. And she's chasing her first major. And, you know, there's, there, it's a storied sort of situation with her. Yeah, she won the ANA Inspiration in 2014. But oh, okay. No major for eight years. Mm. And. You know, she was a superstar yeah, 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 that yeah. long ago, but still no match. Uh, it was a bit hard to watch her putting towards the end. Oh, it's impossible. Uh, and, and you can feel it. The commentators know it. She's I mean, it's actually it's, it's It's part of almost who she is as a golfer now. Um, and, and you can't – I mean, if you're, if you're in this situation, you can't listen to it because that reinforces – what we're all, what they're saying in your mind. I mean, it might get to a stage where you know, if you start putting poorly in these situations, I mean, if you're putting well to get into the situation, that's one thing. But when you get there, if you have a history of putting poorly, once you get there, then it's almost decision time for her whether she goes uh, a totally different type of technique, whether you know she uses the claw, or whether she goes back, oh, you know, whatever. If you get the heebie-jeebies in these situations, I mean, we're getting to a point now where we go, okay. Um, is this hurdle too tall for me to jump over to win my next major? Maybe with Minji coming up through, the comp, the the focus will be on her for quite a while. Maybe it just allows her to just step back a tiny bit from the spotlight and and work on what she needs to because she's finished runner up twice yeah. at a at a major as well. I yeah. mean, this is you know she's she's got the game for it. Yeah. Well, look, if she hasn't been working on, it, I mean, every. Yeah, I know that's kind of a throwaway line, what you just said, but golfers are always evolving their game. They always are. They're looking at every facet of their putting, their chipping, their bunkers, their, the whole lot. So it's, it's always evolving. Um, the one thing you can't, though, is, is the heebie-jeebies. And I'm really confident that she, 100% in these situations, has a won an uphill battle. Is it yips, do you think? Well, I, I hate saying that word, but y- yes, 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 you said it poorly. Uh, she, yes, she had actually had a putt uh, to get into a playoff on the last hole, yeah. and it's the lamest, yeah, lamest putt you've ever seen. Didn't didn't get there, low side. Um, she was fined two thousand dollars for slow play. I yeah. wonder whether that impacted on it because they were on the clock that last group. I think they took well over five hours to play the last round in a two. Now that's just unacceptable. I don't care who we're talking about here. It's it's ridiculous. I'd like to know because there's always one group, you know. I mean, if the if the group in front of them played in four hours and fifty five minutes, then it's hardly their fault for going over yeah. five. I mean, they've, they've in the in that situation as a professional golfer, if you've got a really slow group, the last thing you want to do is wait on every single shot. So what you do internally is you slow down yourself. 
you slow down yourself so you don't have to stand there you know, with club in hand, looking at the group in front, going, God, come on, get moving. So what you actually do in that situation is you, you really slow down. So, you know, unfortunately she was on the clock because of TV. You know, the TV has to get off at some stage and they are forced to put them on the clock towards the end of the round. But you've got to get on top of it really early in a last round of US Open. So, you know, what group was the stretch and were they fined? That's what I'd like mm. to know because she wasn't that far behind the group in front. All right, let's talk about Hannah. I just got one more on Lexi. Okay, go on. She didn't speak to the media. What oh, do you yes. think about that? No, not good enough. Not good enough. You got, you got, to, you got to actually face your demons. Face uh, your demons face and then demons. move on. Yeah, give some reasonable answers. Yeah, you know, if there are tears, there are tears, and you'll be celebrated for it afterwards. That's the way it works, you know. Well, maybe she's going away working on that. Uh, perhaps. Had a green, tied for fifth, despite a disappointing uh, final round of 75. So She was, she was right there until, was, until deep into the last yeah. round. And yeah. then, as you said, Steph Kiriakou, consistent oh, wow. golf, four rounds of 72, but came home with birdie, a sale. Birdie, yeah. birdie on holes 70, 71 and 72 to get into the top 10. And I think she won 150,000 US yes. for yep. tied 10th, something uh, right around there. I mean, that, that's... Uh, just fantastic for a young player. Absolutely. She she now has no money problems. You know, she's she's away, mm. and 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 here's an opportunity for Steph to really spread her wings. I mean, she clearly belongs at this level. Uh, we we saw how long ago, six weeks ago, when she led after the first round. We spoke about it last week. Um, for her to spread her wings and finish top ten in a major, well, that's another level jump. So as far as I could see, you know, after winning. LET events, she's jumped to that level, then she's jumped to the PGA, uh, women's PGA Tour level, mm-hmm. and now she's jumped into top 10 level in majors at, at a famous track. So it's just brilliant. How great is it that we've got Minji, Hannah, now Steph, and I know Sue O's have been up thereabouts in the top 100, but these three girls who are really shaking the women's, the best women golfers you know, and the tour in the world, for the younger younger generation here and the rising stars to be able to look up to them and see what they can be. So from Steph's point of view, I was speaking to Stacey Peters about this uh, yesterday, um, that amount of money and those points from that event, virtually, you know, she's virtually guaranteed that she'll keep her card for yeah. a start so she can play the rest of the year. I'm not saying she can totally relax because she's not over the line with that, but it's going to be a, a big uh, opportunity for her to just keep her card. And mm. uh, Tiff, what about female engagement, your role? Absolutely. Having those, those oh, role models. Yes. Yeah, that, that was to your point, Tiff. Um, the fact that young Australian golfers can look at this tournament and go, holy wow. moly. Yes. We've got three Australians in the top 10 in a US major. Uh, you know, if you, like I think back, if you, I don't think it happened too often in the fellas when I was young. So I, I know if I was had an eye on this tournament and I was a 13 or a 14-year-old and practising every day and coming home from school and doing yep. my putting and yep. mum would pick me up when it's dark and all, all those things, if you came back and just had a quick look at the leaderboard, there's no reason to slow down. You, 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 you're going harder rather than slowing things down if you're a young Australian golfer looking at what is possible. Again, I'll, I'll say it again, tied for 10th in a ladies' event, 150000 yeah. US dollars. That's over 200000 Aussies, guys. Look, looking at the for money. Tenth. Yep, these are, these are career options. You think about other sports yeah. and we've got golf here and we've got these women who are absolutely nailing it. Just for scope. 
that's more money than uh, any had. tournament we played for in Australia for first. Just go. just for scope. Yep. Now I know things are changing here, and, and that's great. We're going to see more money in the Australian Opens and the and the Australian PGAs. But for the last ten years. Uh, yep. It's only about one hundred eighty thousand for first, and we're checking in with uh, Crystal Blum, as I said uh, at the top of the show, who who's won also on the feeder tour of the LAT. That'll be yeah, a little yeah. bit later. Hey, what's happened in the PGA tour? One of the worst finishes I've ever seen in my life, and I love this kid too, Thagala. How do you say it? Shahid Thagala, winner of the Master of the Amateurs a few years ago, yeah, yeah. Victoria. So he started. He was three shots back of uh, Shafali. Uh, Shafali. Shafali. Thank you. Sander Shafali. So he, he he was a long way back after three rounds and hadn't made a bogey and was four under for each round, four or five under, and he was one shot in front with one hole to play. So, you know, this is going to be the magic. You know, he started the year without any status in the world on the PGA Tour. No, no status at all, just playing off invites. He came second uh, in, you know, the crazy um, uh, tournament hole at, in Arizona, uh, the Phoenix Archer. Oh, yeah, yeah. He yes, came second the there. He should have won three. that one as well. Yeah. Anyway, so he comes in here. He's leading, standing on the 72nd tee. He knocks it into the fairway trap down the left, and the ball races to the very front of the bunker. It's a good lie, but he can't get out. You've got, you actually had to explode this shot out. The, the The edge of the trap was too close. And he looked at it and looked at it and looked at it, and the commentators knew what he was thinking. And he tried to hit something clean, 110 metres, so it was 123 yards, 110 metres. There's no way he could have got it up over this lip, out of the sand. Mm. He couldn't have done it out of a good lie, I don't think, if it was a grass hollow. <laughs> anyway, he's tried to hit the ball clean. He's left it in the trap. It, 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 the second shot in the trap wasn't any better. Anyway, then he's hit it out short, of the, and he's knocked it on. He hit a beautiful putt. He's ended up making – without he hasn't had a blemish on his card all day, and he made a double bogey on the last hole. Now, in that situation, you're one shot in front. Just explode it out. Try and get up and down. Even if you make the bogey, the guy behind has to make a birdie to beat you or you can get him in the playoffs. So you spoke about this last year in your Marco's Masterclass. Yeah. Now, honestly, this is where the caddy has actually got to just throw a club at the guy and, and to get him – because the, the biggest thing in these situations is thinking clearly under pressure. Peter Thompson was the best at it. He was the clearest thinker under pressure – I think the game's ever seen, him and Jack Nicholas probably, they, they were just brilliant. They could just simplify something. And that was the caddy's job. The caddy should have said, explode it out. You've been really good with wedge in hand and you're holding everything. You'll, you'll wedge at the 10 foot, you'll hold the 10 foot, or you'll still have to make birdie to get into a playoff with you. But it was just mind-numbing Mark, how, how you, silly you, it was. You've been down this track before, and we talked about Lexi before yeah. fading away. Yeah. My theory is that a lot of golf tournaments are lost, not won. Yes. Right. So, same with Jack as Nicholas. a player, how does Thigala? How does he? And how does Lexi Thompson? How do you? How do you move on from that? It's really hard, and, and so, we we've seen situations in golf, and I know you both have got where someone like a mistake is made, and you never see them again. It's really easy in golf. You only have to lose a little bit of confidence. That that's why. We've got so many tours around the world because there are so many good players. The difference between staying in the top 125 on the PGA Tour and not having a card is, you know, well, half a shot around. Hey, did you did you hear the the comments from Rory McIlroy about the live? I know you always yep. have a few comments about this about it. Uh, the players being duplicitous. 
Mm. That, that was in relation to uh, Kepka, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, in seriousness, we all should have known once Brooks Kepka, once Kepka's brother um, got, a, got a deal, he got a deal, he's 1,600 and something in the world, we should have put two and two together. There's no way Greg Norman offers Chase a deal, which means without money up front without his brother. So I think the giveaway was at the US Open when he was pretty narky about the live questions. Uh, yeah. It's now, with in hindsight, it is no surprise at all. Uh, and, and just quickly on that, uh, I did see a news article this week. The second, the, the number two amateur in the world who plays for the University of Texas, um, they'd been chasing him. They were going to make him a multi-millionaire before he turned pro. Um, he decided not to. And this week he went on the Corn Ferry tour. How good was that? So he only made, he only made ninety thousand US or so. That's what the normal prize is. So he only made ninety thousand US. It's he's won not a lot a, of fans though. He's not a multi millionaire, but he's on track to becoming, uh, you know, a respected. Well, I shouldn't say respect. He's on he's on track to becoming a PGA Tour professional after a win on the Corn Ferry tour. So I, I think it's a great story. They have signed Eugenio Chicara, who's one of the top amateurs, uh, and Matthew Wolfe, yeah. announced in the last day or so, and they've got an event in Portland this week. So the, the whole yeah. pro golf world is yeah. tearing itself to pieces at the moment, and there's speculation yeah. about a tournament down here as well. Just, just on the Live Tour and other players coming in too quickly, a lot of pros don't see themselves going to Seniors Tour like we all imagine. You know, we, we you see Patrick Harrington winning the US Open this week and you see Stephen Elka from New Zealand doing so well, but, you know, he didn't make enough money probably to uh, in his, his normal career. Um, but when you see, when you see uh, uh, these guys going, hey, listen, I I'm, I'm happy taking this live deal. It's because they don't want to play forever. Yeah. That's, that's why. They, they don't want to play until they're 50 years old. Well, of the 48 who are – that uh, obviously tee off in the tournament, 13 players are over 35. Yep. There you go. All right. We're going to take a break. And coming up next, we've got our cherry pick guests. Stay tuned. It's now time for our cherry pick guests for this week's show. And first up, we have Dr. Sheila Newen, Head of Sustainability Australia, New Zealand FIFA World Cup 2023 and the co-founder and board member of the Sports Environment Alliance. Great to have you on the show, Sheila. Thanks for having me. And we have also Golf Australia's Senior Manager of Clubs and Facilities, Matt Chesterman. Matt, the release of GC 2030 last week, this is a big report. Can you share with us what it's all about? So, thanks, Tiff. So, um, GC2030 is an initiative that came out of the RNA um, in Scotland, and it's all about um, the environmental challenges that our golf clubs and facilities are facing at the moment, um, and obviously moving forward into 2030, which is where the title of the project comes from. Um, so, this uh, is kicked off um, in in Great Britain and Ireland, um, where they've got some challenges around um, water encroachment with land, um, and then has and now we've taken it on board to focus on the issues that directly affect our Australian golf courses and our clubs and facilities. And Sheila, you've had a read of this. What did you make of it and what are the key takeouts? Well, first, I'd I'd just like to say congratulations to Golf Australia and to you, Matt. This is a a baby that you've created and it's been released, so you must be very excited. Very excited. Um, Thanks, Sheila. Yes. What do I make of it? I I think it's fantastic. Uh, And I'm not just saying that because Matt's a friend of mine and and you as well, Tiff, but the the report, a couple of things that surprised me, actually, was that it took a... a scenario planning approach, which is quite sophisticated, especially in the Australian market. We don't really see that very often. 
And for, for golf to consider business as usual to the most extreme cases and then think about the practical ways to respond to it, I think is fantastic. So that's my initial take, but I've got lots to say about it as well. Matt, a question for you first. What are we not doing across the golfing landscape at the top of the priority that we should be doing from a sustainability perspective? So I don't think we're telling our story well enough, Tiff. Like all of our golf course superintendents and our volunteers look after our golf courses with the best of intentions, right? Like they they all go out there to present quality playing surfaces um, and no one's out there to do any harm. We're all there to look after the environment that we've got. Um, But one thing we certainly don't do is tell the story well enough of the good things that are actually happening and being driven by superintendents. So that's something that GA certainly has a role to play in, um, but we need the assistance of the supers and some of the other to, to well, help us out. Well, here's your chance, man. Well, tell us about some of the, the good things that are, is being done right now. Yeah, so there's some sensational things. Like we've told the story previously about some of the sustainability work happening at the Glenelg Golf Club mm. in South Australia where um, they're looking specifically at um, indigenous indigenous revegetation um, and then what impact that's happening on on wildlife, specifically like some native butterflies and some insect, um, some insect populations, which is then stretching through some of the other golf courses in that area as well. Matt, I'll give you a scenario for a you know a hypothetical. What happens if uh, you know in the outback sort of north of South Australia or a deep outback of New South Wales, and it's hot enough already, and the temperature in the world goes up by one or two degrees? What happens to golf? Then. Well, you tell me, Blackie, how fun <laughs> is it playing in 40-degree weather as it is um, you Victorians? But it's a, like diff- it it's a different scenario, miles, isn't so. it, for a golf club? You know, if, if the temperature goes up over the next uh, 20, 30 years, it goes up one or two degrees, yeah, which, which they're saying that it could. So, you know, what happens? Uh, and that's what Sheila touched on with yes. the scenario planning that we've got in there. Is like, in reality, we, we can't play golf anywhere near as often as we'd like to. Um, it'll require us to use more water to maintain our playing surfaces to the standard we'd like um, and it will just mean that it'll be too hot to physically be outside playing golf. Sheila, you're across what's going on overseas um, internationally. What are some of the, the good test cases that are, that are out there that we can bring back to Australia? I, mean, I, I might just extend off of what um, Matt was just talking about there because that's sort of the, the direction that a lot of other courses are taking or have been taking for a long time um, is that idea of you know, change in our environment, how does that impact the courses where we play and and how do we ensure that they can withstand the changes? And really it's about going back to nature, you know, like what um, Matt cited over at Glenelg, Glenelg, um, there are a lot of courses around the world who are looking at where they are and saying, hey, you know, what are our natural assets? What are the strengths we have here? And just amplifying that as opposed to trying to recreate uh, an artificial course where they are um, to, to have a sort of condition and playability that looks like uh, where the masters are. So um, that's something I wanted to say on that. But the, in terms of what others are doing, um, I think to, to touch on Matt's point about telling the story, um, an organization, an event, Phoenix Open for a very long time has been doing an excellent job at using the course as a stage to bring awareness to the issues, um, particularly materials. Um, and they've been doing that for a very long time. So they could get to a, a stage where they're so successful now that they can say, you know, with seven days of a, a tournament and we have 20 to 40,000 spectators who come through, we got zero waste. 
it's pretty exciting. What, what's some of the low-hanging fruit? So we give clubs and facilities who are listening right now who this is perhaps a bit scary for them. What can they do that's quite easy for them to get some of those quick wins and then start the journey? It probably depends on, on the size of the club and the resources you have available. But there's no reason why um, any club shouldn't be reviewing um, whether they can be putting solar panels on their buildings, for instance. like We, we have... We have in some circumstances, we have some pretty big clubhouses with some pretty big roof spaces, um, and we should be investigating putting panels on our roofs to, to A, save us money in power, but also just to reduce that energy consumption. Like that's mm. pretty straightforward. Um, for some of our other clubs where there might be even less resources, it might just be starting to review your practices. Um, do we genuinely need to be pouring out as much water as we do on yeah. our golf courses? Is there um, an upgrade in some of our irrigation heads we might be able to use, to, might be able to purchase to, to use more water more efficiently? Um, can we reduce some of our maintained turf area to reduce that water usage as well and return some of that land back to Indigenous vegetation. There's a there's a range of ways people can start, but they just need to review it. Hey, Matt, yes, speaking about water there, um, if you watch the Masters or the PGA Tour from week to week, there's a lot of green stuff there, and I reckon a lot of committee members might think that green is beautiful, where, you know, a lot of the time in Australia, brown is beautiful, and the golf course actually plays better. Can you just change the mindset of some of the committees around Australia to maybe help with the water consumption? Yeah, well, it's, it's really difficult to do that when that's what we see on our TVs time yeah. and time again. And the environment in America is very different to what we experience in Australia. And we've seen over the last couple of years the, the big extremes in Australia. We've had we've just come out of some record flood levels through Queensland and New South Wales. Um, over the last, but prior to that, we had record drought levels as and well. Fire. So, and, but our golf courses in Australia should change with the seasons as well. There's no reason why in April, when we watch the Masters, the golf courses in Australia should be should have two inches of rough around the entire place Correct. and be and be green as green. Like that's the end of our season when our water resources are at their um, at their wit's end. Mm. We really shouldn't be putting it out there to try and produce those services. So Sheila, apart from the telling of the story better, what's the first thing that clubs and facilities, from your perspective, should be doing to participate? I mean, the, the whole the whole transformation and the whole journey is about making a commitment first. And I think if they prioritize it, just like Matt said, just simply doing a review, like looking at their bills and and saying, you know, where where and how much are we using the natural resources in what way? And if they do that, that's a simple exercise just to be a little bit more mindful of of how they're operating. Um, but to the point around um, Brown is beautiful. I just need to capitalize on that. I wanted to say here, here because. You know, you see some incredible courses in the U.S. You see um, uh, Scottsdale, like it's just hay and it's it's fantastic to play on. Um, and that's, it's, you know, of any industry, golf is the one that's going to be the most self-aware of how we're interacting with the natural world and what that means for us in terms of having a really good game. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's the first thing, making a really conscious decision on what are we using, how are we using it and where. And just on that review, and, and Sheila, you're aware of this and I shared it internally before, we, we, we obviously were speaking publicly, I was working at Richmond Football Club and we started up the uh, the sustainability journey starting up their Environmental Action Committee and simply by looking at the low-hanging fruit, we were able to, which included also the energy provider, we are able to save $200,000 in a six-month period. That was just before COVID hit by just doing simple little changes. So it is it is absolutely possible and I know there's, you know, some a number of people think well it's going to cost us money to be more sustainable, but actually if you really look at it and the, and you and you can um, 
become quite strategic about it, you can actually save a significant amount of money. Well, we've seen we've seen that, and Terry Muir from EPAR. Uh, um, who does a lot of work with clubs in this space has genuinely saved clubs money just by shifting them from fossil fuel power to green power with their energy providers, and it, and it works out cheaper without any capital investment. Um, so it is worth just doing that review piece to have yeah. a look about what you're doing and where you're spending your money. Okay, so where do people find the GC2030 on the website? And- yeah, GC2030 document is is on our website and it's on the RNA's website as well in amongst the other ones and so you can see what the other countries are doing in terms of their projects. Um, and, yeah, we'll be we'll be making more, more noise in this space moving forward as well. Too. Okay, and that can also just call you. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sheila, thank you so much for your time. You're very busy in the next couple of years. Good luck with the World Cup. Thank you, Tiffany. It's been fun. And um, good luck with the, the GC 2030. Golf Australia doing great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Matt. And uh, we've got coming up next all the news from around the traps. Stay tuned. And it's time now for all the news from around the traps with Australian golf writer Dane Heverin. Dane, there's lots going on, but uh, you're off to the British Open, I think, next week. That's, yes. that's the big news for you. Yes, I'm off to the British Open next week. Obviously, the tournament itself's on the week after, but very excited. You've picked the right experience. one. 150-year <laughs> yeah. anniversary, St Andrews. You've done well, Dane. It's, you'll love it. Not even Greg one, Norman can get a start. It's, <laughs> it's one of the best things you'll ever, ever do. Go go, go! have a look at an open at St Andrews. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. I have timed it well. <laughs> now, you've been to the open. Have you got any good stories? Oh, yeah. No, I've been to that one. Um, there's a pub on the corner, Dane, you want to stay away from? Uh, I remember Wayne Riley had just won the Scottish Open. I just missed the qualifying for uh, the British Open at St Andrews. It must have been 1995. Anyway, I was in there uh, having a drink with uh, Wayne Riley because he'd won and he was still celebrating. Jack Nick- Jack Newton was in there just drinking away. Anyway, Jack, we all were full of ink, you know, uh, celebrating. Anyway, Jack said, hey, guys, I've got to go. And he is kind of pretty fragile at that stage, you know. He had one eye and, you know, he, and I was a bit concerned about him. Anyway, I thought he was going to have a hard time getting home. Anyway, so I followed him out. He's gone around the corner, and there he is with a Channel 7 microphone doing a cross back to Australia. <laughs> it was just – I was concerned about the poor old guy. Here he is on telly doing a Holding live cross court. back. It was incredible. You've got another good story, haven't you, it's with uh, one of the uh, Well, there's a video circulating on YouTube, I think, uh, Dane, is it's that right? It's on YouTube, yes. it's on TikTok, it's on Instagram, it's everywhere. It's Har- it? Harrison Crow, the winner yeah. of the New South Wales yeah. Open last season, uh, hitting balls, what, Dane, over the top of a building onto the 18th green at St Andrews? Yeah, from out the front of the Dunvegan pub on the street corner, hitting it over the top of the <laughs> building. Yeah, it's a repeating a, yeah. a feat achieved yeah. by Ernie Els very yeah, late okay. at night. One yeah, particular okay. year. <laughs> yeah, well, well yeah. maybe you don't want to stay away, Dave. Uh, no, maybe you better get to the Dunvegan <laughs> Hotel. Now, the news was dominated, of course, at the top of the show with uh, Minji and Hannah and Steph, but there's other things going on. Yeah, just quickly before we move on from Minji, I saw a pretty amazing stat about her on Twitter, which shows how much the prize money has gone up in women's golf. Mm. She's earned $2.5 million in the month of June alone. Is that year. US or Australian? US. That would have won the LPGA season money title in five of the last ten years. Wow. <laughs> That's so That's good. awesome. Magnificent. Good on her. And the courses that they're playing with, as you touched on as well. Amazing. But, of course, we had another major on this week. We had the US Senior Open, and Mark Hensby came third in that. What yeah. a blast from the past, that yeah. is. Came out of nowhere, that yeah. one. Well, he qualified. He didn't. He, he, he did qualify. Went through the whole lot. Apparently, went through each stage and and got in, and then came third. You don't see that very often. He's a different cat, Mark Hensby. 
Dane, and I saw that he said afterwards that he, or during the tournament actually, that he it might be his last year. But he's playing great, obviously. Yeah, but. it was it was mid tournament. He posted on Facebook saying, "This is it. Doesn't matter how well I play this year. I'm not touring anymore." But yeah, finishing third guarantees him a start next year. He won't yeah. have to go through qualifying again. So I, did, I didn't know he was touring. So that that gives you an idea of how far off. You know, the radar that Mark Hensley's been the last 10, 15 years. He was a um, President's Cup player. He played in the President's Cup at Royal Melbourne in uh, maybe not 97, the one after, yeah, where they got flogged. Anyway. It's won, yeah. won, won five professional tournaments. Maybe it was 97. Excuse me. Yeah, and um, obviously we talked about the PGA Tour earlier as well. And Cam Davis was tied second at the halfway mark of that tournament. He <laughs> fell away, but obviously played really good golf in the first two rounds. Mm. Cam Davis is waiting to explode, I think. Yes, I agree with that. Um, something's going to happen with Cam soon, but, um, you know, that was a disappointing weekend for him, wasn't it? Yeah. Tied 56 in the end. Yeah. And he was second at one point. I, I agree with you, though. I, I, he's, he's swinging the club so well uh, and getting himself into positions of note. And that's, they're the telltale signs of someone who's improving a lot. For sure. And Gabby Ruffles, another tied, another top 10 on the um, Epson Tour, top on 10th. So we're just talking about her every single week. She's going along mm. really nicely. And then um, Kelsey Bennett made the quarterfinals of the Women's Amateur Championship over in the UK. She Jeez. played really well, knocked off some really high-rated amateurs on the way through, and then in the quarterfinals she went down on the 20th hole, unfortunately. Wow. She played some really fantastic That's golf. brilliant. You, you, know, you win three and lose one in Amateur Championships or, or US Amateur Championships, either one. I mean, you get to a quarters, that is superb golf. Looking, looking, Incredible. Yeah, looking forward to Kelsey turning pro and Kirsten Rudgley's another one keeping an eye out on. Yeah, I think we should keep an eye on them turning pro later in the year. I think they've got a few more amateur things coming up and yeah. next summer they'll probably be professional. Don't uh, Ka- uh, Caitlin Pierce and Kirsten Rudgley actually spent the week with Kari? Uh, this week at the major, didn't they? It was part of the Curry Web Scholarship. Yeah, if you go on the Golf Australia social media pages, you'll see some of the photos from that. Of they got this amazing photo with um, with the KPMG Trophy, the Women's PGA, with Caitlin, Kirsten, Kari, Hannah, and Jan Stevenson, the three Australian women who've won that. So tournament. good, yeah, that's fantastic. Rise and rise of women's golf. And hey, I've got another one for you. A young woman making waves on the feeder tour of the LETs, Australian-born and UK-raised Christelle Blum, who's joined us from Europe on the back of a big win on the LETs Access Tour. Welcome, Christelle, and congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. And where have you joined us from? Uh, I'm in Dubrovnik in Croatia currently. <laughs> Tell us about the, the lead-up to, uh, to this victory because I believe this is your maiden, maiden win. Yeah, so uh, maiden win, um, I guess, over here in, in Europe. Uh, this feels, yeah, it still feels a bit surreal and is slowly sinking in. Um, I'd been playing really well in the weeks leading into sort of, yeah, playing in Belgium and I felt like I knew that things were maybe close, um, but there's sort of been a few things in my game that I just haven't really been super happy with. So I just sort of tried to think that the results had been good and if you sort of keep doing that and the scores are on the board then that's all that matters and yeah I was lucky enough to get over the line this week. And prior to perhaps the last of three events you'd, you'd missed the cut on a number of them and and finished I think top 60 or thereabouts so what, what's been the key 
what what clicked um, this week and and what's been building over the last because uh, I believe you've had two top ten finishes as well of the last events that you've competed at. Yeah, so um, I had like an okay start, I guess, to the European sort of season. Um, I was pretty happy with my Aussie summer and the events we'd had. Um, yeah, over our summer, all around sort of Melbourne and all the TPS events. And then I missed the cut in Bonville by one, which hurt, and it wasn't my best golf. Um, so it was a little disappointing, but kind of also felt that, yeah, game wasn't quite there and then made the cut the week after. And same again when I came straight to Europe and sort of things were like, okay, but not great. And then had a good finish in Sweden a couple of weeks later and that kind of really gave me the confidence boost and felt like I sort of saw my game going in the direction it needed. Um, unfortunately, missed the cut when I decided to play on the LET, had one bad hole in the second round, my first hole of the day when it was pouring with rain and mm. just couldn't quite get it back enough. Uh, dropped a couple of shots coming in to then miss, yeah, by two, I think, so then to finish and have two top tens the next two weeks back on the access sort of deciding to focus on the secondary tour like that had been my original goal for the year um yeah and playing well in Montauban I think that sort of gave me a boost I was two behind going mm. into the final day so I guess I'd known that I'd put myself in those positions and then last week everything my Driving hasn't been great, but it was kind of just getting in the right places. But my iron play last week and wedges into the green, especially in the second round, they were just bang on. And that kind of, I guess, is what is all about. I mm. mean, sort of keep it in play off the tee and then, yeah, your irons are sort of working and that's the scoring part of the game, I guess. So, yeah, it all just kind of clicked last week, which was great. And what what is it then about your iron play? What what had you been working extra hard on it? What was it that clicked for you? Um, no, I sort of I'd had a few days off um, leaning into last week. It's been a massive couple months for me, just with the travel and everything. Kind of, I think has been catching up. My body didn't really feel great. I felt quite stiff through my back. Um, but I've been in that position before when I won the Athena. I pulled my back two weeks before and was very injured. And I think I've learned how to deal with those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, I just, my irons have probably always been one of the strongest parts of my game. So mm. when they're sort of going, I get quite a lot of confidence. So let's have a talk about the Athena. You won the inaugural event last year. What did that give you in terms of confidence and, and the, the prize money that allowed you to obviously go over to Europe and, and really have a crack at what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, that was completely life-changing for me last year. Um, doing my back just before it, I was kind of devastated at the same time because it did sort of freak me out and I was like, this is something that I don't want to miss. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my physio was great and sort of got me all ready and mum actually, my coach, was like, you're swinging at the best you have because you've got to swing within yourself and you can't sort of be too aggressive <laughs> and... Yeah, then the prize money and everything, just my life changed in that weekend and being able to then go back to Europe last year after having to take 2020 off with COVID. Um, originally, it hadn't looked likely because of the cost factor and 
flights obviously were so expensive last mm. year. So that just really set me up and gave me the opportunity and gave me a lot of confidence going into the events last year. And I was a lot more consistent, but I was still maybe not quite getting the results that I had hoped for. Um, but I think having been able to play for like the last 18 months, basically full time and not really having a break, I feel like, yeah, that's what sort of helped me and given my game the sort of extra little bit. Yeah, and I believe also that your brother Nick's been on your bag for the last the last few weeks. What's it like having family with you? Because it's no doubt a very lonely existence at times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it's been great. He's been here since the start of June, so we've had four events together now, I think. Um, it's just been great having like a bit of family here. Last year it was all on my own and it was kind of a long five months and I think although people go, oh, you're so lucky, like you get to leave and go to Europe, um, like we're all stuck here with COVID and restrictions and it's like, yeah, but there's so many things that you're going away for sort of an unknown length of time. I didn't have a flight booked home, didn't know when I was going to see my family. Mm. Um, so, yeah, this year, like having him come out and then what well, you've got a couple of weeks left and then my dad's coming, it's just it's nice to have that extra bit of support around. And I believe you've come back from your celebratory dinner tonight and there's also an Ed Sheeran event coming up at Wembley. So you're heading over to, to London. Yeah, yeah. I went out and sort of had a little celebratory dinner. We uh, flew to Croatia last night and back to London on the night that I won. So tonight was the first sort of opportunity. And then, yeah, I bought Ed Sheeran tickets knowing my brother was likely to come this year. Um, we went and saw him five years ago um but yeah I've always wanted to see him at Wembley so I'm very excited <laughs> just finally how does the wind set you up I, I think it's top five on the access tour automatically uh, secure their card for the LET you're sitting in the top five uh, how many more events and, and and where to next for you uh yeah so I think uh I believe it's top six um last year was top six and I think it's the same again this year so yeah, I've put myself in a great position now. Um, there's, I think, 11 or 12 events left uh, on the schedule. Um, I'm missing this week. And then I'll play basically everyone after that. Um, but, yeah, I've put myself in a really good position now. And if I keep having sort of the consistent results that I've been having, that's all I can sort of ask for. And, yeah, hopefully I'll achieve that goal by the end of October. Well, we're all behind you. Hopefully you will. And you, as you said, you put yourself in a great position. Christelle, thank you so much for joining us. Go and have a great sleep. And uh, we'll be watching closely from afar. And, uh, and hopefully we'll see you back also in Australia over the summer of golf. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, I look forward to playing at home again. Yeah. All right. And coming up next, we've got Marco's Masterclass. Stay tuned. Okay, everybody, pull your putter out because it's time for Margot's Masterclass. Uh, now, we've been speaking about the WPGA. Uh, the winners won her third major, but she had to do it with the most magical two-putt you've ever seen on the 72nd hole in that situation. She three-putts, and she's in a playoff with the hottest player in the world, Minji Lee, and she didn't. She managed to get this putt. I mean, she hit a beautiful second shot in, and it went all the way to the back of the green. The ball's on the back of the range. It had to go downhill into a swale, then back uphill, 
over a ridge and then back downhill to the pin. It's absolutely brilliant to get a 40-foot putt like that within three feet. Now, a great way of doing it is instead of having your practice swings and you practice uh, in, in this you know really tough putts where there's different pace of green because of the slope, what you can do is you go to the last bit of the putt and gauge how hard the ball needs to roll from there. So if you get up on top of the slope that it's got to roll down to the hole, have your practice swings there instead of having your practice swings next to the ball. Because what that does is it gives you an idea of how fast the ball is moving, uh, in Inji Chung's case, at the top of the hill. So it's just a better way of doing it. Now, don't go back and have 100 practice swings next to your ball as well because you're trying to, you know, get off the course pretty quickly and, and not upset the people behind. But with the really long putts that have changes in pace because of the slope on the green, maybe just get to the last bit of that putt and feel, with practice strokes, how hard to hit the ball from that position. And it just starts to make sense if you do it that way. I tell you what, if you can find a Himalayan putting green like we've got mm, here at Sandy good. Golf Links, then you're well on your way. Thanks, Marco. See you next week, guys. Thanks, See ya.